Love it. Love it. All right. Welcome to Sunday evening service. Woo! How many of you have already been to church today? Yeah. <laughs> right on. You guys are double dipping. Man. Love it. You guys love Jesus. Dang. <laughs> well, let's, let's get right into it, into Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. For those of you who don't have a Bible, I don't know, somebody on staff can... We got Pastor over there. We got Jason over there. Raise your hand nice and high if you don't have a Bible. Wait a second. They all have their Bibles. Beautiful. Oh, Agnes needs one. No, no, I, I'd much rather all of you have Bibles. Man, that's a blessing. Uh, for those of you who I haven't met, my name is Zach. I've met almost all of you. And uh, we used to be doing a rotation where it was Aaron Marks, Jeremy Haynes, and myself doing Sunday night service um, due to a bunch of changes in staff and changes in people's lives and where the Lord's taken us in different directions. I am going to be doing Sunday nights with you guys permanently, and I'm super stoked for that. Yeah. You know, uh, one, one of my... One of my Goals here for Sunday nights is, you know, not only to refresh you at the end of your day, um, but also for those who aren't able to maybe make a morning service, they can come here and be refreshed by, by the word and good worship. So I'm excited. So let's, let's get into Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and we're at a point uh, where it's one of my favorite verses. It's a, it's, a, it's a passage that's really ministered to my heart, and it's taught me a lot about ministry um, just in this past week that I've been studying it. So let's get right into it. Verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into the boats which was Simon's, and asked him to put it out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they they caught a great number of fish and their nets were, were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats and they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we love your word. We love to worship you according to your word, Father. And I pray that tonight you would bless these people. God, and I pray that tonight we would bless you with the study of your word. Holy Spirit, we recognize that we can do nothing and we can understand nothing without you. So be here tonight, Lord. Holy Spirit, come down tonight, Lord, and and intercede on our behalf, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we're so excited to learn about you, God, 
and the implications it has for us as well, Lord. God, we love the fact that the more we learn about you, Lord, the more we learn about ourselves as well in light of who you are. And so, God, I pray that you administer to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Jesus is entering into this stage in his ministry where he's becoming super popular. All right, he, he, he just got rejected by his hometown, but, but that, that, that means nothing as far as his popularity goes. Everyone is flocking to Jesus, and Jesus is teaching multitudes. And oftentimes in the Bible, when it talks about multitudes, it means more than you can count. Okay, so more than you can count, like this multitude here, not a multitude. I can count you guys. Okay, the multitude means you, can, you can't count it. There's so many. And so all of these people are flocking to Jesus, and Jesus is a man, okay? Jesus is a man. He, he, he can't boom his voice across a thou- thousands and thousands of people. Bodies block sound. It, 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 it's, it's what happens. Bodies block sound. So he has to get into a place where he can be up on a platform. I, I, I would suggest that this is one of the world's first pulpits. It's a boat, a fishing boat. And, and, and just as a side note, that's what a pulpit is. That's what this is up here. This is, this, is, this is a place for preaching and fishing and equipping people to fish. And, 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 and Jesus is so popular, people are closing in on him, so he just commandeers the ship. He's just like, this is my, I, I'm, we're going to sit down. He has permission, obviously. And he's, like, and he's like, hey, can you pull this out a little bit so people aren't suffocating me? They have bad breath. They've been in the hot sun all day. I need to preach in a place where they can all hear me and I don't have to smell them. Okay? So Jesus, in the first pulpit, which is a boat, and he's preaching and he's preaching. And then he gets to the end of when he's preaching. And it said, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, uh, I will let down the net. Jesus is from Nazareth. Now, if you know anything about Nazareth and the geography of Israel, you know that Nazareth is not by any sort of water. It's not by the sea. It's on a plateau. It's on a hill. Nazareth is nowhere near the sea. Jesus was not a fisherman either. He had grown up as a what? Carpenter. Jesus had grown up as a carpenter by trade. And now he comes up to Peter, the fisherman of fishermen, and says, hey, let's go fishing. And Peter's like, okay, Jesus, I've lived here my entire life. I fish here my entire life. I know fishing. That is what I do. Everybody Everybody, every fisherman would know what Jesus is suggesting is completely illogical, okay? Because if you're a fisherman at this time, you know that in this region, all the fishing happens in the evening and at night. The tide is lower, the fish come out to get into a little bit of warmer water. The the tide's low, the water's shallow, they can pick up their nets and pick the fish right up. During the daytime, it's hot, the fish go into deeper water, the tide is higher, it's harder to catch fish. And, And... and if they cannot fish at night and catch anything, if they can't catch anything at night when they're supposed to be fished, what makes you think that in the day when there usually isn't fish that they're going to catch anything? Peter is politely saying, uh, we're not going to catch any fish. Okay? 
hey, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Peter is essentially saying respectfully and politely, uh, you're cray-cray. Okay, that, that's, that's what he's saying. All right, you're crazy. But at your word, uh, I'll do it. And, and what, what Peter's doing right now is something that I do very often, and I've done it before I preached very often. And I've talked to a few of the fellow pastors here, and, just, and the way we preach, and I was talking with Mark Lesney with this the other day, and I have this tendency to prepare people for failure. And here's what I mean. When I invite people to Sunday nights, or I invite people to youth group, or I, and I'll be like, yeah, you know, I mean... I'm really not sure about the text tonight. You know, I'm not sure about my teaching. I'm not sure how it's going to go. I'm not sure how many people are going to be there. I'm not, I'm not sure how it's going to go. And what I'm basically doing, I know it's going to be awesome. But just in case that they have these huge expectations, I want to lower it so it seems awesome to them. Does that make sense? This is essentially what Peter is doing right now. He's, he's kind of cushioning Jesus for failure. Okay? He's saying, all right, we'll we'll go out, but I want to let you know. I mean, at night when there's supposed to be fishing, you know, we let out our nets. We didn't really catch anything. He's cushioning Jesus for failure. He's he's kind of letting him know, hey, there's probably not going to be anything. He's playing down what's going to happen. He's preparing Jesus, and he doesn't want Jesus to be let down, is what he's saying. And do you know what? He also doesn't want all of his peers... And he doesn't want all of his employers to think that he's a moron. He's going to be like, oh, we caught nothing all night. We're not going to catch anything now. But you know what? At your word, Christ, we'll go out. I do this so many times. To- I, I do this all the time. And, and it doesn't even have to do with my faith. But I'll, I'll cushion people and say, yeah, well, you know, it's not that great. Even though I know it's going to be great. I, I, I want to make sure just in case something goes wrong that, that nobody's disappointed. And I feel like we do this with Christianity and our faith in Christ all the time. Sometimes we'll, we'll play down what it's like, just in case people end up being disappointed in the future. I do this way too much. And God's really convicted me, and I'm stopping right now. Because the word of God is the word of God. Jesus is Jesus, and it's epic no matter what's going to happen. Absolutely epic. I don't have to apologize for what's going to happen. And Peter's going to learn this pretty soon, pretty fast. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, Peter is obeying, but to avoid looking like a complete moron, I want you guys to notice something very specific in the text. Look at your Bibles. Look at your Bible. This is a church. Look at your Bibles. He says, well, first of all, when Jesus asks, he says, Launch out into the deep and let down your what? Nets. Plural. You guys notice that? And then Peter says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Singular. Okay. Notice this. This is huge. This is huge. Jesus says, let down your nets. All of your nets. Take them out. Let down your nets. Go big or go home. And Peter's like, "Uh, I'd share a word. I'll let down my net. To avoid looking like an idiot, to avoid looking like a moron, he just lets down one net instead of all the nets like Jesus had asked. Jesus asked us to put down all of our nets, ladies and gentlemen. Peter put down one. 
Peter lets down one net, and then boom, sushi for everybody. There's tons and tons of fish coming on. Now Peter wishes he brought more nets. Now Peter wishes he had put down more nets. He had only put down one net, and it was breaking. It was breaking. There was too much fruit. There was too much fish for one net to bear. He had to single all of his buddies to come in and take the net. He, had, he should have put down all of his nets. But he only put down one. It was more fish than the boat can bear. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners and the other boats to come with them. And they came filled both boats, so the boats began to sink. I bet Peter's wishing he brought more nets. They signaled to their partners in the other boats and came to help them. And they came and filled both of the boats, so they began to sink. Listen, if you're faithful to let down your nets, if you're faithful to fish, If you're faithful to obey God's commands, whether you have faith or not, whether you really feel like it's going to happen, whether you feel like it's going to be accomplished or not, whether you have confidence that it is, if you obey Christ, if you put out those nets, God will bring people alongside you that are also willing to put out their nets. Christianity is not a lone wolf thing. you got to put down all your nets. And that will inspire people to put down their nets. The act of fishing is not the goal either. We have to know this, right? I mean, you, you don't fish. Well, professionally, Peter doesn't fish for the, for the sake of fishing just because he likes fishing. He, he fishes for what? Fish. He doesn't fish for the act of fishing. He fishes for fish. And a lot of the times in ministry, a lot of the times in our Christian walk, we, we, we fish for the sake of fishing. Meaning we, we come to church for the sake of Christianity. We come to Sunday nights for the sake of Christianity, for the sake of learning. For the sake of accumulating knowledge rather than for the sake of casting out our nets and fishing. The point of fishing is not to fish. The the point of fishing is the fish. It's to catch the fish. The point of coming to church is not just to come to church. The point of coming to church is to equip yourselves to catch those fish. The point of this pulpit is not just, you guys don't come here just to listen to me speak, do you? Hopefully you guys come here to equip yourselves to go fishing. This is the fishing boat. Get your nets and take it outside into the water. If, 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 if the boat had stayed on shore, there would have been no fish, right? Go out into the deep water. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Get into that deep water. If the boat had stayed on shore, there would have been no abundance, People would have listened to Jesus. He would have gotten off and everyone would have went their jolly way. Jesus recognized that the point of the boat was not preaching. The point of the boat was fishing. The point of the boat, the point of the church, the 
point of the pulpit, the point of the word, go fishing. Go fishing. And they go fishing. When Simon Peter saw it, when Simon Peter came to this realization of what had just happened, he fell on his knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. You know, Peter and his bros just got wrecked by the glory of God in one of the most epic ways. You guys got to get used to my language here. You would think that right after the catch, people would be giving each other fist bumps and pounding their heads like, yeah, fish. Chris made a wonderful joke earlier. He said fish bump. They'd be giving each other fish bumps all over the place. That wasn't that funny. Uh, no one's laughing. Whatever. Chris, I thought it was funny. Whatever. <laughs> when they got out of the boat and all of this fish, their, fish were om- their boats were almost breaking. They didn't go up to each other and say, yeah, man, great job. You see the way you pulled in those nets? You see the way? Dude, nice teamwork. They didn't go up to each other, start patting each other in the back. They were all like, Staring at Jesus, just speechless, in awe. Fishermen took no credit for this. They had fished all night and caught nothing. Maybe a little shrimp. Like Forrest Gump, he's like, I only caught five. Do you guys remember that? (laughs) They were in complete awe. They knew that it was nothing of themselves. And a lot of the times in ministry, a lot of the times in Christianity, where we have this huge success and we like patting ourselves on the back. At the end of church service, we all go up to the pastors and the worship leaders and say, yeah, dude. Instead of giving Jesus the credit. This caused them to be in awe of Jesus and who he is. Peter couldn't handle the glory of God in this moment. And don't you wish you had that sometimes? As as crazy, uh, dumbfounded as Peter was, don't you wish you could experience that more often? Being in the presence of God and just falling on your knees and saying, I'm not even worthy to look at you. I feel like a lot of the times we we, we miss that and we want that experience. We, We want that awe of God. And sometimes we, we come to church to get that awe of God. And to really try to experience Jesus. But if you're anything like me, you'll you'll go to a church service and you'll you'll seek experiencing God. And and you'll just come up empty sometimes. I mean, you're filled with the word and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're you're like, yes, this is awesome. But but there's there's this reverence that Peter has that, that you just lack. If you're anything like me. You'll come and you'll be like, Jesus is awesome. I, was feel, I feel refreshed, but I don't have that bow down, get away from me, Lord, type of reverence for God. And, and that's not something I can fake. That's not something that I can, can muster up in my own strength. You know, a lot of the times I wish that I can really just have this reverence for God where it's like, ah, and I, I just want to bow on my knees and say, this is all you, what I'm feeling. What, what can inspire passion for God that we've never experienced before? This is something that I, 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 I seek. How, how do we feel the awe and wonder 
that these fishermen felt? How do we experience this awe that all of these fishermen had? How are we led to fall on our knees and say, get away from me, God, I'm not worthy of you. You know, people will say, if I had enough faith, I, I, maybe I could. There, there, was, there was a kid that came up to me for prayer. There was a high school kid that came up, from, came up to me for prayer the other night. We had this worship event on Friday night. And, and he said, I just, I don't, I don't feel God. I know him. I know him. I love him. But I just want to feel him. And that really, that really resonated with me. I'm just like, you want to feel God? Me too. Me too. I want to feel God too. Pentecostals will be like, oh, but that's not it. I'm telling you. There's a way to feel God without going crazy. There's a way to feel him. And I'll tell you, cast out the net. Cast out the net. Do you guys understand that? This is something I have to come to terms, to terms with all the time. Where it's like, I want to feel God. I want to experience God. I want to be in awe of God. Cast out your nets. Cast out your nets. <laughs> you want to experience God? Come to church. Take the boat. Take it out to sea and cast your nets. A church is not a building. It's a people group. It could be mobile. And we are temples of the Holy Spirit. So wherever you are, Christians, the church is as well. You can take the boats out wherever you please. You want to feel God? You want to experience God? Cast out your nets. Very often... We feel like, if I had faith, I would cast out my nets. Did Peter? No. Did Peter have faith that there would be fish? No. He had zero faith, so much that he only haphazardly just threw out his net. Did he have faith? Absolutely not. He had obedience. Now, I'm here to tell you, not all the time, but very often, in my case, obedience precedes faith. Obedience precedes faith. A lot, of, a lot of us were like, well, if I had faith, I would obey. No, if you obey, you'll have faith. If you obey God and his word and what he tells us to do, that will create a faith that's crazy. And, and, and it's hard. It's super hard. Just a personal story. I had a girlfriend, great girl, amazing girl. She loved Jesus. She was nice to me. She helped me with ministry. We had great times together. We were best friends. It, it was a good relationship. But there was something missing, and God was tugging on my heart. There was just something missing. And, and I, I couldn't quite pinpoint it. I had a few points where I'm like, ah, oh, you know, this can justify this and this can justify this. And we didn't have any problems. And, and any problems that we did have, we, we could have easily worked out. 
you know, we could have discussed. But, but God was tugging my, he said, break up with her. And I'm like, well, God, what, what, God is binded, let no man suffer. He's like, you're not in a covenant relationship. You're not married. Break up with her. And I'm like, no. He's like, yes. I'm like, no. He's like, yes. I'm like, no. He's, he's like, yes. Slap me upside. Yes. Broke my heart. But I broke up with her. Didn't want to. There are a few, you know, I, I, I was unhappy in certain points. Once again, could have worked it out. God said, do it, trust me. I did. She didn't get it. She didn't understand. She was upset. I didn't have, ri- what, what was I going to say? I'm breaking up with you because God told me to. Well, that's a big cop out, don't you think? But I did. And since then, guys, her faith, her relationship with the Lord skyrocketed. I was an idol to her. She was an idol to me. My faith skyrocketed. It was hard. And, and I know that's, that's, you know, that's stupid. You know, some of you are like, oh, that's just, you know, kid drama. But, but I'm telling you, it was, it was hard. We had been dating for almost two years. And, you know, we're young, but we were discussing, you know, a future and, it happened. And since then, man, she, she's in Long Beach. She's minister- she has her own woman's group. She has her own, she, she's a girl leader at the youth group. She holds a Bible study at her house. She holds a prayer group at her house. She goes to the college group and she serves there. She's going, now she's going to Irvine next semester. She's, she's going nuts for the Lord, man. And she could have never done that with me. Because she was tagging along in my baby faith. You know, she was like, she had her baby faith and she was attaching to mine. God said, break up. We did. Bam. So much fruit. Faith is a product of obedience. It's a product of obedience. And, and, and Peter recognizes this. He says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I am a sinful, wretched man. Peter's first mistake as a Christian was not recognizing that Jesus is smarter than him. This was Peter's first slip up in ministry. Saying, yeah, Jesus, you're good at Bible, but I know my fishing. You you do your thing, Jesus man, and I'll do my thing as the fisherman. Okay? Okay? We love to give Jesus the spiritual and philosophical authority. But what about the professional, financial, political, marital, relational authority? What about that? A lot of the times we we, we put Jesus on this spiritual and philosophical pedestal. We say, great teacher, my savior. I learned so much for him and my spiritual life and the way I should act morally. But how often... Do we put him in the authority in our professional lives, our financial lives, our marital lives? See, a lot of the times we're like, well, Jesus is our savior and our biblical authority. But I know my job. I've been doing it for years. I don't need his insight in that. My wife and I, we've been married for years. We don't need his help. A lot of the times, (laughs) Patrick's laughing. He's like, yeah, I do. However, however you live your day-to-day life, 
there's potential for Jesus to make it way more epic. You know, Peter wasn't a bad fisherman. He was probably doing okay from, you know, fishermen didn't make bank, but enough to provide for his family. He had been doing fishing since birth, taking up his father's trade. Peter knew fishing. Jesus knew it better. And that was Peter's first mistake, was not recognizing that Jesus has authority in that day-to-day stuff, in the relational stuff, in the, in the educational stuff. Peter, uh, Peter didn't recognize that. And he came to terms when he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He's really confessing, Lord, I, I, I'm so sorry that I ever doubted you. I'm so sorry that, that I didn't give you this authority in my life. And I have lived my whole life prideful and I, and I have compartmentalized you into just a good teacher, a moral teacher. But you can do so much more. And a lot of the times I feel like I don't do this enough. Where, yes, do you know what? Jesus is, is a huge part in my spiritual, moral life. But I really, lately, I'm trying, not doing a good job, but still trying to put him into my relational life. And to the way I, I, I view things like politics, the way I view school, school is a big one for me. Because I go to Cal State Channel Islands, uh, I just got done with my first year at college, and I was working here a lot. And, and you know what? I really wanted to give God the majority of my time. So I, I went to him in prayer and I said, Lord, I'm going to continue to do your work. You're going to have to take care of school. You're going to have to. If you want me to faithfully serve in ministry, if you want me to faithfully serve, you're going to have to deal with my classes. You're going to have to do it. Because I can't do both. And God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all else will be added on to you. I ended up getting a 3.5 GPA in my first year. And that's God. Because if you knew me in high school, (laughs) 2.8, like... At the highest, a 3.0 at the final stretch of senior year, <laughs> almost. Whew. I'm bad at school. My mom's like, no, you're not, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, I am. God took care of it. You, put, you give Jesus the, the authority of certain parts in your life, he will make it much better than you ever could. He is the expert in not only theology, but in your everyday lives. Don't give Jesus the authority just in church. Give him the authority in every step you take outside of church as well. And you will see him dramatically change the way you view work, the way you view your marriage, the way you view raising your kids, the way you view relationships. He will dramatically change it. Give him that authority. Hey, I've got three, you know, I'm not big on lists, but I've got, I got a list for you, okay? For those of you who do take notes, like all two of you, okay? Three steps for daily direction from God and how to really insert him into your everyday life. It's simple. First, recognize that Jesus is smarter than you. 
That is the first step. Recognize that Jesus is way smarter than you, not only in theology, not only in faith, but in your work and you raising your kids and everything. Jesus is just plain smarter than you. You think you got experience on him? Jesus has been here ever since the earth was began. Even more back. Even in the things that you've been doing for years, Jesus is smarter than you. That's the first step. You got to recognize that. Jesus is smarter than you in every single area of your life. Second step, seek God's direction. And you do that in word and in prayer. Seek God's direction. I suggest doing it in the morning before you screw anything up. That's me. That's me at least. I have to wake up and pray and read my word because do you know what? I'm going to walk right out my bedroom door and I'm going to screw up somehow. Seek God's direction. Mark chapter 1 verses 35 through 38. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. This is Jesus. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout Galilee and casting out demons. So Jesus, before the sun rose, before anyone can find him, while everyone's asleep, he went up, he found a solitary place, a quiet, get to quiet time with the Lord. Seriously, you will be refreshed in ways you never thought possible. He got to a quiet place, he prayed. He sought God, and he came down, and everyone is looking for him. Everyone's hectic. Do you guys ever feel that way at work or in your everyday-to-day lives where you walk into a situation, and there's just millions of things happening around you? And so many times, it's like, how do you juggle everything? Jesus knew exactly what to do because he had sought solitary time with his Lord. He had given God the first fruits of his day. I have a problem with this. Where we always talk about tithing, right? We always talk about tithing, giving God the first fruits of your finances. But how often do we give God the first fruits of our day? And this is something I really, I've actually just in this past week really been faithful to do it every morning. And it's working. Man, it's working. It's refreshing me. Everything was hectic. Jesus sought God in his word and in prayer. And he got down. He knew exactly what to do. That's step two. Seek direction from God. Step three, obey that direction. So it's really easy sometimes to know God's will because he has made it actually really easy for us to know his will. Everyone's like, the Lord works in such mysterious ways. I'm like, yeah, sometimes, but it's really all here. It's it's sometimes easier to, to... Know God's direction and his will for your life, but obeying is the hard part. And, and one of my favorite pastors, Stephen Furtick, he's just, God's will is his word. Simple. Obey. Obey God. And, and that's what Peter did. He's like, I'm just going to obey. God told me to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't really trust it. I'm going to do it, though. He casts out the net. Boom, fish. Fish tacos and sushi for everybody. And for some of you, if you're anything like me, once again, if you're anything like me, you're like, well, can God really use me? Even if I, if I do seek God every morning, I seek him in prayer, I seek him in his word, and even if I do decide to obey God, will he really use me? Am I really useful? 
Am I useful? And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all that they had and followed him. Okay, you got to know this about Peter before Jesus, B.C. He was a bum. Okay, and even through and even throughout his entire you know, time with Jesus, he was constantly making mistakes. Peter was constantly making mistakes. But Peter ended up being used so mightily by the Lord. Jesus says, from now on, you will catch men. What does this mean? What will Peter do? Jesus says, right now, Peter, from now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. What does that mean? We see that, if you guys want to turn really quick to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Right now, the day of Pentecost had happened. Okay, tongues of fire came down. All right, tons of people are, are in awe. Crowds have been flocking. Peter's up here on the stand. He's giving this long, or not even that long, he's giving this message about Jesus and repentance and telling them, you crucified him, but he came for you. He came to save you. He presents the gospel to the masses. And it says right here in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God would call. And in verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from the perverse gen- from this perverse generation. Then those who were gladly received his word were baptized and the, di- and the day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Peter is fishing. Peter's fishing. Just like Jesus predicted. Jesus is like, Peter, you're going to be a fisher. I'm going to make a fisherman of you yet. You think you know fishing. I know fishing. You think you know fishing. I know fishing. You're going to be a fisher of men. The day of Pentecost, Peter put down all of his nets. Because he knows he might be arrested for this. They do arrest him for this. He let down all of his nets. 3,000. I would suggest that's probably around the number of fish he caught that day. Just a guess. Speculation. I would argue it, though. Jesus says, you're going to be a fisher of men. Peter right here, fisher of men. He, he, was, he was nobody before Jesus. He was just an average fisherman. He used the Holy Spirit and what Jesus had given him to be a fisher of men. He took out that boat on the day of Pentecost, 3,000. 3,000 believers. He let down the nets. I'll close with this. Attempt big things for God because we have a big God. Amen? Attempt big things for God because he's a big God. Anything less seems rather insulting, doesn't it? Redeem the time that has been given to you. Now, I don't have to say, I I don't say go into your workplace and stand up and be like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's, There's smaller scale stuff that we can do in our workplace. Amen. But I'm saying attempt big things for God. And whatever he tells you to do, do it. Just do it. What do you got to lose?
Well, you got something to lose. But what you gain is far greater. And that's that passion for the Lord that you've been seeking in church. I, um, I organized this event a while back. Some of you might have went to it. It was called Lifted. And it, it was a night of worship, and it was awesome. Right, Mark? It was awesome. And, and, and it was just like I had this idea. Devin had this idea, and we kind of just were just, let's go for it, you know? And of all places, to hold a worship event, we went to T.O. High School. And we, you know, about 250 people to 300 people came to T.O. High School, worshipped their socks off. And we're like, dang, we let down all of our nets and all of these people came all throughout the Canal Valley and they were unified under the worship of their God. But I realized something on Friday night that that wasn't even the best fruit of what had happened. You see, lifted, we were just faithful and we cast out our nets. It was an awesome night of worship. But out of those 300 people that came, one person by the name of David Johnston, little David Johnson Jr., not little, taller than me. David Johnson Jr., if, 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 you, if you know, you know, he's very open about his testimony, past of drugs, of drug abuse, and, and he was in prison for a while. He, you know, but since then, he's been to Bible college, he's, you know, and, and, and most of all, he went to Lifton, and he's like, do you know what? I could do this. He went to Santa Barbara, Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, said, we're doing an event. It's called Seek. It's going to be a worship event. Another 200 people came to Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara. That's the fruit. You cast out your nets, other people will be inspired to cast down their nets as well. So, so lifted, when Devin and I had this idea of lifted, it, it didn't just become, oh yeah, you know, 300 people come and you know, they, they, they jam out to some Christian music and they, they're unified and they love the Lord, but also it was inspired other people to go out and do the same thing. You see that this is a domino effect here, the gospel. It's called ministry. It multiplies. If you're faithful to cast out your nets, ladies and gentlemen, other people will be inspired to cast out theirs. Go for it. You know, if Jesus gives you an open door, and in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, it says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. If you have a little strength, for you have a little strength, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus says, I've opened the door for you. No one's shutting it but me. Who has the bravery to go in? Jesus says, I've opened that door. I've given you my Holy Spirit. Go in and do work. Who's brave enough? Who's brave enough to attempt big things for God? Plain and simple. He says, if you have a little strength, you can do it. Because all the strength comes from me anyways. You just need enough strength to pray. That's it. I'll do the rest. If God puts a ministry on your heart, and even on Sunday night ministry, Sunday nights, if you're like, well, there's no snacks in the back like there is on Sunday morning, bring snacks. I want snacks. <laughs> if you want to make coffee, make coffee. If you're like, well, I think we should have childcare, get some childcare. Go into the kids' ministry on Sunday mornings. Attempt things for God. If God opens a door, just do it. If God gives you this ministry idea, and, it, and, it, and it co, you know, if it coexists with his word and it doesn't contradict anything, just go for it. How do you think Calvary Chapel was established? I was just at a Calvary Chapel's conference, a senior pastor's conference. Chuck Smith, entire 
ministry of Calvary Chapel, starting Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and now there's thousands of Calvary Chapels all throughout the world. 